starting to float down. Those of you who made those new commitments, to, everyone said, I'm going to be here from now on every Sunday. And it's already starting to slide, right? Yeah. Except for you all. See, so you got good job, good job. Hey, today we're going to continue with our series that we're entitling Soul Trainings. You want to take out your outlines. Pull that out of your bulletin. Get your outline there. And at the same time, I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, torn off that sheet on the side of your bulletin called your connections card. Tear that off now. Because when it's quieter, then we kind of like we're, oh, I don't want to have everyone hear me rip this thing off. You know, it's like the rattle that takes place when you put the candy in your mouth that all of you are getting ready to do in just a minute. And you go, oh, don't want anyone to hear me. So... I'm going to hold on to that. There may be a prayer request you have. You may be already aware of it. You know, oh, I need to make sure that I asked you know, the pastor and the group to pray for that. And that's great. Uh, there may be some other special thing you need. You need to mark up, you know, be involved in something. If you didn't sign up for the one-on-one class today, you can still go ahead and get in. They have a couple extra spots. Just let Eric know uh, at the end of the service. Just say, yeah, I'm going to come across in just a few minutes. And so he'll prepare for you. All right? So the one-on-one connections class will meet across the street upstairs in our office area. We have a conference area there, and they'll meet in for that. Okay, let's pray and ask God to give us direction. Lord, we thank you for this chance today to spend some time reminding us that we tend to think with our flesh and not with our soul. And we would ask that you'll help us to change that, or at least start the process of changing it, uh, that today... You can show us how to more accurately begin to respond by the power of your Holy Spirit with a soul response. And that we can begin to experience that freedom that you want us to have and that peace and that sense of, wow, that was great. I did the right thing. So guide us here. Lead us. Bring us understanding. We need your Holy Spirit to do that. So we come to you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, previously, we talked about this issue of of soul training. We said one of the first things that we need to do is learning to listen. And so Bill shared with us how he learned to listen flat on his back when he had no choice. At that point in time, his choice was what was he going to listen to, not whether he was going to listen. And he began to choose to listen to God's voice and to his direction in his life, as difficult as it was. And God began to give clarity and understanding, and he saw a transformation beginning to happen as a result of yielding his will to God's will. And that's the first step. That's the first step in soul training, is learning that we must submit our will to God's will. And the second step, then, is is kind of like the how-to in that process. And that's what we talked about last week, that our mind is a tool, and that that tool is given to us by God, for us to use as our soul directs it. And we get mixed up. We use our mind to start directing our soul, and that's also referred to as a, as a fleshly response because our mind tends to be just like a computer. Whatever comes in, you know, is what goes out. And so we, we become part of our culture. And that's why Paul talked to us in Romans 12 and said, don't be conformed to your culture, to the way of thinking that's here. Instead, you need to be transformed by an entirely new way of thinking. He said, in this new way of thinking, you'll experience life and peace and hope and a sense that God is, is truly directing your life. But you have to be transformed for that to happen. 
And so last week we talked about how that process goes on, that your thoughts don't determine your actions, but they do determine where you're going to end up. They don't determine your action, but they do determine where you're going to end up. Uh, this week, uh, Eric popped out and he says, Pastor, I was checking online to this thing, and they actually have a new term for what you talked about. It's called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the process by which brain connections are changed by experience and attention. So God says, be transformed by the renewing okay, of your mind or restructuring of your mind, beginning to understand what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, what it means to love your neighbors yourself, what it means to live out the directives and the motivations and the attitudes of the ten words of God, the ten commandments that he gave out, and how all that comes together. He says God can teach you that, and then as you do that, that becomes... A kind of a, a fertilizer and a sun and, and water to our soul transformation and flowers begin to grow out of our lives. Fruit begins to show itself out of our life. So the term is used in Galatians. You'll experience what's called the fruit of the spirit as opposed to the fruit of the flesh. Okay, does all that begin to make sense now? Nod your head if it's a yeah. Okay, good. Because I can see everybody, the spots aren't high or anything, we're right there. Okay, good. So that's the first beginning process. Then we talked about the fact that the simple truth is this. Our world and our world system that has a system set up that it wants to follow and wants you to follow will try to mess with your mind. So it'll try desperately to get you to believe the fantasies and the falseness, and it'll keep you going sometimes until you're 60, 70 years old before you finally go, ah, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Well, you were thinking what the world wanted you to think. It's a system that's bent on destruction and derailment. That's the purpose of it. Where God's word and directive is, is intended for construction and for instruction and for guidance and understanding. And so the Holy Spirit will literally begin to re- rewire how we think because your willpower isn't strong enough. You cannot grow a flower by your willpower and you cannot grow yourself by willpower. Growth takes place as a result of God's work. Any doctor will tell you, I can't heal anybody. All I can do is put you in position so you can be healed. God heals. Doctors help you to be put in the position so you can heal. They take away some destructive elements that are stopping you from healing in a normal and regular process as God has set up in our world system. So that's kind of the picture that God wants to do it. So how do we grow a tree? We can't. But we can provide fertilizer, put the soil in right, give water, and suddenly you find yourself in your backyard with lemons and oranges so overflowing that the neighbors are mad because they're dropping off the side and onto the wall. And my sons, I send over and say, get those oranges. I say, Dad, you want us to steal them? No. I just want you to take the ones that are hanging off. They need to be removed. Steal them? Okay. Steal them! They want me to steal. No, that's okay. Get the idea. Now, so today what we want to do is we want to take another step in this process of transformation thinking or soul thinking and help us to understand more clearly how it works. What I find with many people when I bring into premarital counseling is they don't understand how this whole thing works. And we begin to work through the process and help them to understand how life works, how things work, 
how you need to respond and communicate and deal with conflict and all these areas. They don't know how. So you teach them how. Well, the Word of God teaches how to respond correctly to God's nature within us, which is also referred to as the Spirit of God. So Romans 8, 6. Let's, let's read this today as we talk about these two simple strategies that the Holy Spirit wants to use to bring about this transformation in your life. So read with me. If... Your sinful nature controls your mind. There is death. I want you to think, there is what? Death. Okay, or dying. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Now, everyone here is going, well, I know which one I'm going to pick. Yeah, exactly. You know which one you should pick. You should pick... Life and peace, controlled by the Spirit. But in the majority of cases, you will choose your sinful nature. Because that is a system that's been embedded within you and that you grew up with and that you rooted in. And so you tend to go right back to that. So when somebody responds to me with anger, I tend to respond back to them with softness. No. That's what I'm supposed to do. But what I tend to do is I go, what? Huh? You talking to me? And it's like, dude, sit down. Take it easy. It's okay. And I go, oh, what am I going to do that? Instant response. I go, back up, slow down, deep breath. Okay, he's only five years old. Yeah. Your sinful nature controls your mind, and then there's death. Okay? The first thing that you have to do to begin to bring about change is, is identify your what I call sideline thinking or fleshly thinking. You can use one term you want, one that works for you. You need to identify this sideline thinking. Now, the reason I call it sideline thinking, I'll give you a quick insight into me. My sons grew up playing basketball, and I would coach oftentimes. And when I wasn't coaching, they were playing in high school, and they were playing. And I'd be on the side, and the refs would, for some reason, be angry at me. Now, you understand what sideline thinking is. Okay? I'm yelling and screaming. I got to the place where I would literally bring my Bible with me and sit down and read it while the game was going on. Because it was the only way I could shut my mouth. What a sad statement. Here comes the pastor. Oh, no. Okay? I went, this is not good. So I said, I am going to read my Bible and go, good job, good job. You, good job. Back, quickly. And that's literally what I had to do. I'd read a book, I'd bring up whatever it was. I could not. My fleshly nature would automatically respond with this intensity. So I call that sideline thinking. That's what helped me to go, Lee, you're sideline thinking again. I go, ah, stop it. Identify this fleshly thought process. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death. Do whatever it takes to kill whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. 
Okay, so first we have to exercise our will and surgically remove our earthly sinful nature. And the one, always go, well, how do I do that? You have to identify this sideline thinking. And Paul says there are three top issues of destructive sideline thinking that come out. He says they are lust, that's looking or thinking, either one. Ego, that's boasting about what we have. And greed, which is I just want more. Yeah, you can, a lot of people got that. See, it's, it's, I just want a little more. That's what I always say. A little more. little more. little more. You know, I go, good grief, when is it enough? Never. Sideline thinking, okay? And by the way, the last one is we tend to lie about all the above. Okay, we tend to lie about all the above when it involves it. I wasn't lusting. I wasn't greedy. I don't think highly about myself. I just am great. It's not my fault. God made me this way. You get the idea in terms of the flow. It's also found in 1 John 2.16, by the way, where it talks about that same basic flow of the world system that we live in and the struggle that we go on with it. All right? So maybe it'll help you understand if I got to go left side of the brain and right side of the brain, or left brain, right brain. Maybe that'll help us a little bit. The, the left side of our brain, we're taught, tends to be more independent and competitive. Okay, left side of our brain tends to be more independent and competitive. In other words, our brains literally are divided... Two-sided, and the left side tends to be very independent, competitive, and most, who do you think usually thinks with their left side? Men. Men tend to think with their left side. Not, not entirely, but usually. Okay? And then women tend to look at their right side. But let's stay with the left side for a little bit. The focus on the left side, if you're writing stuff down to think about later, is on consciousness and circumstances. Consciousness and circumstances. That's, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it work. Why is this happening to me? Okay, that's, that's the flow. That's the picture that's going on. Uh, the, this particular side of the brain tends to focus on facts. What happened? How can I fix it? So the first thing that happens with me, I tend to be left-sided in my thinking process. If my wife walks to me and says, honey, this happened, I think, okay, what do I need to do to fix it? The reason you came to me is because you need someone to fix it. I'm here. I will fix it for you. And she will maybe say, I didn't want you to fix it. I just wanted you to listen to me. I don't listen. I fix. Okay? I fix. If you don't want me to fix it, don't tell me about it. I don't say that because I'm not rude. But I think that. I really do. Why did you tell me that if you didn't want me to fix it? I immediately jump up wherever I'm at and go to fix it. We're having struggles with our boys. I jump up. Okay, where are they? No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to fix it now. Where's he at? I'll bang their heads together. We'll do whatever it takes. She goes, no. Listen. I don't want to listen. I want to fix. See, that's her foot. Okay? Uh, they also tend to be linear. Okay? That means we go from room to room. We go dot, 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 dot. We fix this room and then we move to this room. We fix this room and we move to this room. We fix this room. We don't. I don't go around and do one or the other. Now, my wife does exactly that, and we'll see that in a minute. But it's like she just goes in a big circle and keeps going back and again and again. I go, what are you doing in that room? We fix that. It's not fixed yet. We're not, we don't have to fix it. We're just, no! 
That's the problem. She goes circular. So it's linear. We kind of go room by room by room. Very concrete. That's the old guy that says, get her done. We're very con- Get her done. That's it. And then lastly, we're visual. Let me see that. I'm always grabbing it. So he tell you, let me see that. I want to see it right away. Quickly, give it to me. Let me see that. It's like, ah, get your hands off my stuff. That, that's a, okay, so that's the left brain thing. In Matthew 5, Jesus teaches about this issue of left-sided thinking, okay, about the mind. And he says, adultery actually begins, he tells us, in your mind. Begins in your mind. So he says, if your right eye, even if it's your good eye, you might say, if your eye, as opposed to right eye, but in the, the literal translation, if your right eye, even if it's your good eye, causes you to lust, then gouge it out and throw it away. Because if you're looking on a woman with lust, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, what is lust? I have this all the time. People say, what's lust? And I said, what is lust exactly? I thought Billy Graham did the best job I found out. He said, if you're thinking about how you would do what you would do if you could do it, that's lust. If you're thinking about how you would do what you would do if you could do it, then that's lust. I go, oh, okay. I know that one. Okay? It starts small and then it grows like a weed. Bears fruit which is sin, and it destroys. And up to the time it bears the fruit, it looks good. It even looks good when it bears the fruit. It's not until you eat the fruit that you find out crap. I can use that here, right? Okay. Sorry. I keep forgetting. Okay, so I mean, bummer. Bummer. You know, that's what comes to go, ah! So I eat and I go, oh, man. Why did I do that? It looks so good until that point in time. Now there's consequences. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Why such a severe reaction? By the way, how many one-eyed guys do you know? (laughs) We're not paying a lot of attention to this scripture. Okay? Or we're, either, or we're not taking it literally, that's for sure. I'm going, gouge it out. Lord, that's a bit extreme. Yeah, that's kind of over the top. And so kind of what's, what's the point? Is the, is the right eye more lustful than the left? Because he says, your right eye caused you. I go, well, it's not that. It's, my, it's always my left eye. Right eye's good. Left eye's bad. And I go, hold it, help me, help me out here, you know. And some of you say, well, that's not a problem for me. Interesting. I, I did a little thing just yesterday. Every second, $3,075.64, so that was interesting, is spent on pornography. Yeah, every second. Every second, there are 28,000 Internet users viewing photography, pornography. 28,000. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the U.S. In the U.S., in 2006, the accumulated revenues of pornography were $13 billion. In China, it was $28 billion. Isn't that that amazing? Now, I want you to get a picture on it. That exceeds the combined revenue of ABC, CBS, and NBC. That exceeds the revenue of all three of those. 
gives you a picture of why Jesus is speaking to this struggle of lust, ego, and greed, all of which come from the right eye. He wasn't just talking about adultery there, you see. He goes on to speak to these different issues, and he's saying that here's the problem. When you begin to look upon things in either of these ways, with ego, with lust, or with greed, you bring destruction into your life. And what you need to do is you need to figure out how to handle that eye. Because later, in verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, your eye is a lamp or a camera for your body. And a pure eye lets sunshine into your soul. But an evil eye shuts it out and plunges you into darkness. So our eye is this lamp, this camera, where we look on things and we determine how we're going to respond to them. If your eye is pure or good, the word is haplos in this this particular case, which means generous, then he says, then the response with that will be, in your own life, great generosity, great pureness, great wholeness, great happiness, great peace. But if your eye is instead, the word used here for bad is also used for greedy, what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? Why did this happen to me? How can I get that? Then how dark will be your soul. You see, that's what he's speaking to you. He says, how are you picturing things? You know, we use that term half full or half envy. It's much stronger than that. It's a whole picture of, is it God provided and directed? Or is it just another obstacle to overcome or a thing to be taken and bought and grasped and made mine? We have that great picture, yes, of Precious there and, and the shows of uh, Lord of the Rings and all. This person whose life has been totally corrupted, and that's the picture. How dark you become in your soul because you've taught yourself to think wrongly. Later in chapter 9, he says, Why do you entertain or harbor evil thoughts in your heart? As a man thinks in his heart, that's how he will become. By the way, women are the same in this case. Okay? As a woman thinks in her heart, so she will become as well. So let's not get that one mixed up there. To harbor or entertain means simply to play with it. To play with it. If you're playing with generosity, how can I, you begin to, how can I take care of this? How can I work this out? How can I make, Lord, how can we put this all together? How can this, as opposed to, how can I get that? What do I got to do to make it mine? What, what you know, boy, I, I gotta have, that should be, and, and I need her, and she's, and he's, and the flow begins to destroy us and bring destruction into our life. You see, the left brain is all about control of consciousness and circumstances. And the scripture says, who's controlling? If you allow the Holy Spirit to control you, you have life and what? Peace. If you allow your sensual nature to control you, your fleshly nature, your sideline thing to control you, you have what? Death. It destroys you. It literally, it's like it takes out a part of you, takes out another part, takes out, and you become darker and darker and darker. Light being our real soul that's, that's wanting to flow out and give light and hope to others so they can read and hear and see and understand. Now, we'll be getting that picture. Okay? 
Now, the problem is there's two sides of the brain. As soon as I get one side going pretty good, the other side tries to take over and go negative on me. So the right side of the brain is about relational and presentation. Now, that's, that's a word my, life, my wife is very, very, very much, you know, right-brained. And she uses the term presentation. It's all about the presentation. Okay, you're getting the idea, though. I think some of you have heard it and you get it. The focus tends to be on connections and chemistry. Connections and chemistry. That's the focus and the flow there. So 1 Peter 2.1 puts it this way. Clean house. Makes sense, right? We're back with the women. Right? Okay. Ooh. That was sexist, wasn't it? You know? Hey, I clean our house. That's my wife. I clean the house. I do whatever she tells me to do. Hey. I clean the house. I clean the bathroom sometimes even. Make a clean sweep. <laughs> there it is again. Okay. Of malice, pretense, envy, and hurtful talk. Don't let them take control. Now we have a different set of struggles. Malice, pretense, envy, hurtful talk. Right brain problem. Got left brain problems. We have right brain problems. The right brain teaches to focus on feelings. Nothing but feelings going through. Yeah, you got the idea. Okay. How do they feel about it? That's always a comment. How do you think they feel about it? I go, guys are always saying, you're always telling a woman writes Bible study material. How did they feel about this? I go, how would I know how they felt about it? Don't ask me that question. That's the guy's response always. You know. How did they think about it? I don't know how they thought about it. Okay, how do you think about it? I can tell you that. That I can respond to. Women tend to say, how do they feel about it? They tend to talk before they do. Talk about it before you do it. Guys are like, let's get it done. Let's talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. Let's get it done. No, let's talk about it. Let's make sure we understand. I don't want to understand. I just want to get it done. Okay? Get, get in a flow along this. They tend to be circular. They're about motifs. The motif. How everything fits together. Eh? You have to look behind you. You have to look to the right. You've got to look to the left. You've got to look in the front. It's a circular process. They will do this. You'll be talking about something. So I'll be talking about the saw. Yeah, we're, we're going to fix up this saw. And then they'll say, and then you know Kathy. And I'll go, what? <laughs> and then I, I stopped thinking about, about five minutes ago, we were talking about Kathy. She's gone back to Kathy. I go, oh, Kathy. And then sometimes there'll be somebody that I have two names. It'll be Doug. So we'll have two different Dougs. Well, you know Doug. I go, I'm thinking, which Doug are we talking about? Now, I don't want to say which Doug are we talking about because then that implies I'm not listening. You're getting, you're getting the focus of the idea. But that's, that's the circular thinking. It's, it's a computer process. It kind of takes a little bit and goes on and comes back, takes a little bit more, comes on, goes back, takes a little bit more. Comes and I go, whoa, can we just stay right here? What for? It's boring. It's, there's no mosaic. I'm going, oh, okay. I, I, right brain thinking, okay? Looks. How does it look? You know, my wife asked me more times about, how does that look? I'm thinking, I wonder what she wants me to say. <laughs> now she's going, so that's what was going on. You know, I, I really don't like it, but I'm not going to say that. 
I've got to figure out a proper response. Okay, she says, how does it look? Because she put it together and made it look this way. Now, let me give, I can do the same thing. After I do something, I want her to say, I'm not, how does it look, but isn't that great is what I say. Hey, doesn't that look great that I did? And she goes, oh, Lee, you did such a nice job. That must have been so much work. And you're so good at it. And I go, thank you so much. That feels so good. You got the idea. I'm sorry that I'm, I really am that way. It's, it's, there's so much, the reason we're laughing, there's so much truth here. And she's just simply saying, well, how do you think it looks? And I'm going, um, old ladyish. That's, that's our negative term now. Kind of looks like an old lady did it. We're not going there then. Okay. I'm changing it now. Okay, cool. So that's kind of the looks focus. The other one is touch. Touch. Tend to be more spontaneous. Well, I'm spontaneous. Early on, I have to give you a little picture. Early on in our relationship with my wife, I used to have a day timer that I would take with me everywhere. I've, I've always been a very structured kind of guy. And so I'd have my day timer. I thought day timer is the most wonderful thing ever made. You know? Now I have great apps. But, and the day timer would have what you're doing here and here. And so I'd fill out all my stuff and have dinner. And I put down seven o'clock date with Mary. And I thought that was really cool. And so, you know, kiss Mary 715. Cause yeah. You know, <laughs> Why don't you kiss me more? So I'd put down, kiss Mary, 715. She opened my day, my book, looked at it, went, what the is this? I said, what do you mean, what is this? And I said, what, what is, I said, well, it just, it's just reminding me. Oh, really? <laughs> Wrong answer. Man, slow of thinking, you know. <laughs> So you're getting the idea, though, that that's, that's kind of the right brain versus the left brain. I tend to be left brain. She tends to be more right brain. She, she does left brain. I do right brain, but that's kind of our overall flow. Regardless of your mindset, the key is this. We need to recognize that this world and our sinful nature wants to make us fall in both those areas, which neither one of them are morally wrong. They're just a way of thinking. But we need to program them correctly so that God's thoughts begin to flow through it. God put it this way. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You have to master it. Well, how? Well, the first and foremost thing is after you sin, you need to repent. And that means I ask forgiveness for my sideline thinking. So I start to go into sideline thing. I say, Lord, I am, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. I shouldn't have been there. I don't care if I've been there for five minutes or for five seconds. It doesn't matter. God said, okay, I'll cleanse that. Take it off. Now rethink. How should you be thinking? What does my word give you directive in terms of how you're supposed to be involved? In? How's your soul thinking as opposed to how your flesh thinkings? Okay. So the process then is I begin to find my sinner again. I get cleansed and say, okay, Lord, show me the thing. And oftentimes it'll lead me back to the word of God to help me understand what needs to be gone. Other times it'll bring back to me a particular verse. Lee, here's a verse in relationship to this particular issue you're dealing with. Oh, this is how you need to think. You've got to find your center. So you get forgiveness and then you find your center. And I call this soul thinking, soul thinking. He puts it this way. You stop feeding from the top. You stop feeding from the bottom. You start feeding from the top. You look up. God, show me what to do here. God will show you what to do. He puts it this way. Summon it all up, friends. I t- say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, 
compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. That's a pretty good level of things to begin to work on, right? I thought this morning we talked about, well, how can you tell if you love somebody? We'll go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not, love does. I go, oh, okay, I'm not very loving. That's right, get your act together. Begin to start being more loving. Start to act correctly. Get your soul cap on. Get your flesh cap off. Okay, Lord, help me out there. So he's saying, fill it up so there's no room for anything else in your life. You're filled up with these things here. Psalm 63.6 says, I lie awake at night thinking about you, meditating on your word. There's no room for anything else. I'm focused on what is true, reliable, faithful. What can I lean on? Not partial truth, no rational lies, but transparent and clear in who we are and what we do. Think on whatever is true. Whatever is noble, these outstanding qualities, high morals, more than is expected, greater than is recognized. Nobility is not of the physical genes, it's of the pure in heart. Nobility is earned as a result of who you are and your actions. Reputable, the right stuff. Positive insights, doing what needs to be done, even when it's not convenient or desirable. You know, Eric talked the other day, as he driving along, getting ready to preach this sermon about taking care of those around, he looks off to the side and there's somebody who has a need. And he's thinking, you know, I gotta get there to preach this message. Better turn around. So he turns around. It's not convenient, it's not desirable, it's necessary. It's not convenient, it's not desirable, it's necessary because it's the right thing to do. Reputable, authentic, not a false copy, a perfect fit. It's oak, not press board. Don't you always get that piece of furniture, you think, oh, I got this really nice piece of furniture, it was really cheap. And then you pop it against the wall, so it comes off and go, oh, are you kidding me? It's press board. They stuck it to me. Socked it to me, whatever you want to call it, you know. Man, I'm ticked. I like the real stuff. You gotta pay for the real stuff. That's not cheap. You want a real piece of wood. It's authentic. Pure gold, not fool's gold. It's compelling. Compelling. What is compelling? Pushing you to do your best. Going the extra mile. Making sure it's fully done. What's gracious? Gracious simply means giving grace to others around you. Choosing to give grace to people, regardless of whether they deserve it. No one ever deserves grace. So someone says to me, why do you give grace to people? I go, well, why not? Well, they don't deserve it. I said, who does? Who deserves grace? I don't deserve grace. That implies the point. God gives grace to us. We don't deserve it. He gives it to us anyway. Otherwise, it's not grace. So we're gracious to those around us. We're generous in our praise. We're stingy in our criticism. And we see Jesus working in others and declare it as often as we can. That's one my wife is really good in. She always says, honey, you give grace to everybody. And I go, well, I use a different kind of grace, but you give vocal grace. You do really well in encouraging and lifting up those around you. Okay. Best, not the worst. What they did, not what was not done. Best, not the worst. Beautiful, not ugly. 
Hey, your face, not your pimples. Make sense? Yeah. <gasps> look at this. I go, I'm glad to look at everything else. You have one little pimple on this gorgeous face. It's okay. But it stands out. I know. Focus on your face, not on your pimples. Okay? Praiseworthy. Woohoo. God's good. All the time. God is good. Yeah. So that's it. Whatever is praiseworthy. We begin to understand these things. We praise God for what he has done. So this morning we looked over and said, oh no, we're going to have to use our crummy old projector from the middle. Instead of the beautiful new TV screens that we got. Didn't even work. And most of you didn't even notice. Eh? I said, no, isn't this great? We got a backup. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I said, I remember when we used to use these overhead projectors and these little plastic things we'd slide in, you know, and slip them through. And I was really excited when I got the covers for the plastic things. And, I, you know, I could write on the names of the song on it. It was like, cool. I could kind of fly through them as I play along. And we'd sing and fly through the next one. It was great. I thought that was really the greatest invention since sliced bread. You know, and then we came up with this wow stuff that's going on. And what projector. And then we got tea. We got all kinds of stuff. Isn't it great what God gives us? Man, that's what he said. We went there too. Eight track versus cassette versus CDs versus what are you? You know, wake up, dude. You know, iTunes. Just plug it in. And I go, yeah, isn't this amazing? I just stick my phone in there. And I got like 500 songs at play. Wow. This is cool. Instead of, you know, I wish I would have had what he's got over there because he's got the newest and greatest. And I go, yeah, there you go again. That's a struggle. Think on these things. Think with your soul, though, not with your mind. Your mind is a tool. Your soul's the handle. Your mind's a tool. Your soul's the handle. The goal of God is to change you from the inside out. Soul change. So our focus is on forgiveness obtained and then good that we can do, not bad that we have done. That's the focus of the grace receivers and the grace givers. I focus on forgiveness obtained and good that I can now do, not bad that I have done. You see, if we want people who keep their soul intact and we want to be those kind of people, we have to learn to think with our soul before we engage our mind. That is incredibly simple and unbelievably hard. Unbelievably hard. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we don't live in the world, this real world that we live in, with the same weapons that we had before. We don't fight in the same way the world fights. We fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. So we capture every thought. We make it give up and obey Christ. Not me, Christ. Okay? Take captive every thought. Make it say uncle. That's the process. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is what? Death. But... If the Holy Spirit controls your mind, you experience life and peace. He says you need to capture the thought. The word capture means to take a spear and put them down and hold them down. You're not allowed the freedom to roam in your mind with those thoughts. I don't allow those thoughts to roam in my mind. I stop it. I capture it. I put it in jail and I give Jesus the key. Once you get that. I put it in jail, no, and I give Jesus the key. I'm not allowed to open that. 
whether it be greed or lust or hate or envy or bitterness. No, I'm not allowed. Grudge, not allowed. Put it in jail. That's what he's saying. Let your soul guide you, not your sinful nature. Don't let it. Put that in jail. Left brain, lust, what a beautiful creation of God walking down in the mall. No, stop that. Stop that. Put that thought in jail. Just glance at it, go, oh, that is nice, and move on. Okay? That's the process, what's going on here. Press forward button. Envy, got to have that. No, you don't have to have that. In fact, you probably don't need that at all. Jail time, put it in. Ego, I really look good, don't I? Put it in jail. Put it in jail. It will bring destruction to your life every single time. Right brain says, capture the thought. Give the tea to Jesus. I don't get mad, I get... No, I get good. <laughs> See, you went right there. Yeah. No, 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 I get good. I don't get mad, I get good. Hey, let me tell you what they did. No, I'm not going to tell you what they did to me. Let me tell you what she's... Oh, no, 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 we don't go there. Put it in jail. I'm not allowed to do that. I think with my soul, not with my sinful, fleshly, sideline nature. I don't do that. I use the Heimlich maneuver on it. I get it out. Pop it loose. Put it in jail and walk away. Make it cry uncle. How do you do that? By choosing a generous eye as opposed to choosing a greedy eye. I choose a generous eye. You've been bought with a price. Now honor God. Make the right choice. Give generosity and grace to those around you. They don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it. That's not the point. You need to do that. That's what you need to do. Cherish your spouse. Cherish your Lord. Cherish his word. Memorize a verse a week. Spend five minutes, three times a day with God in prayer. You know? <sighs> Tell your wife how much you love her and appreciate her and think of her. Tell your husband the same thing. Begin to get the picture of the idea. In life, we're all dealt a hand by God, okay? We all know that. And we each have different cards. Conscious cards, our intelligence and the input from others that affects how we view who we are and what we can do. And circumstance cards. Some of us are born in Africa in poverty and some of us are born in Newport Beach, you know, with a lot of stuff. We have connections cards. Some of us have great relationships with people and parents and some of us have horrible parents. And all the people we know are gangbangers. We're all born with different chemistry cards. Some of us are pretty and some of us are pretty ugly. That's just the way it is. Some of us are five foot eight and some of us are six foot three. It's, you are what you are. But here's the biggest thing in relationship to all these things. There's a trump card that God provides for everybody. Everybody gets this same soul card and it's called choice. And all of us get the same card that trumps all the other cards. So you see person after person that has all this great conscious identity and they look great and they've got all these, come from a wonderful family, have all these things and they fall into crap. Their life is a disaster. 
You go, how could this be? Because when they took the card of choice, they chose the wrong things. And then you'll see somebody who comes from a life that was just awful. Their parents were terrible. They had no money. They were poor. They were struggling. Everything was bad. They're not good looking. They're short and kind of dumpy. And you go, everything's wrong for them. And they're great. They have a great life. They're a great person. You go, what happened? Choice. Choice. Because that's the trump card that God provides for every person. There's no real power in circumstances or connections or consciousness or chemistry. All those cards are trumped because God decided they would be by the wonderful card of choice. I want you to watch this little clip that talks about a person who had the worst possible hand dealt him and turned it into one of the best hands that you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Now, I show you that because... All that Nick discovered was a simple truth that God gives to all of us. And that is that I give you the trump card of choice. And whatever circumstance or connection or situation or chemistry you have really doesn't mean that much. It doesn't matter whether you're born in South Africa or whether you're born in North Newport Beach. It doesn't matter. All that matters is your response and faith to who God is and what he calls you to do. Learning to think with your soul, as opposed to thinking just with your mind, just with your flesh, choosing instead to find your sinner, to look up and say, God, I will choose to do these things, even though it appears to be the wrong thing to do, that I'm not going to gain anything from it. And God says, I will give you what you need. And you will gain more than you could ever thought possible. We're going to close up our time together with a simple couple songs. And we're going to hand in two things. One thing is you have a connections card with you. Okay? And you may say, oh, I've got this prayer request now. Here's my prayer request. I know what it is. I'm going to write it down. Good. Write down on that connections card. Give your name. Put down, this is what I'm asking God to do. On your little outlines there, it says in the end, it's got ID these areas and find my sinner by. You need to ID some areas in your life where you've allowed sinful thoughts to take over. You need to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, and say, then give it to God, and how are you going to find your center when you're in that position? How will you find the thoughts that God has for you? Begin to search for that so they're available to you right then, right there. All right? And then lastly... As they hand it in, you're going to give your finances. Some of you have been told God to give a certain amount of dollars. Some of you have been told to give a lot of money. Some of you are told to give a little bit of money. All of you are told to give something. Give to him as he has directed you to give. So we'll take that offering. Whatever time during the song, we'll wait a minute for the first song to kind of go through. So I'll give you enough time to write something down or you know, write your checks or whatever you need to do. And spend this time thinking, God, what are you saying to me? How can I be a person who thinks with my so, Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for Nick. What a marvelous truth you throw in front of our eyes and tell us what fools we are to think that we are unable to deal with our circumstances and situation because we haven't been given something. You have provided all we need and you will work together everything for great good if we choose to love you and follow your purpose. Let it happen this day as we yield to your will and give control to your spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.